possible. I mean, the irony is that the BOJ has been trying really hard these last eight years to generate 2% inflation. It might soon get something pretty close to that, but inflation being above GDP rates is never where a developed economy wants to be. And that would be a very, very big challenge for 2022 because anything the Bank of Japan does to pull liquidity out of the economy could basically tank the stock market. Mm -hmm. Um, The one good thing for Japan is the yen right now is weak, so that's good from an export standpoint. But if export markets aren't very strong at the moment, what's the point of that? So it's going to be an interesting 12 months. No doubt. Okay, William. Well, good luck over there. I hope you're able to get your travel (laughs) plans sorted. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan, though, the Nikkei 225 right now is rebounding from yesterday's sharp sell-off. It's up 1.4%. The ASX 200 in Australia is up 1.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is up 0.6%. But sadly, doesn't look like any of that is going to help the Hang Seng, which is projected to open about 100 points lower in just under an hour's time. Wet crude oil trading right now at $73.25 a barrel. Gold rebounding a little bit at $1,786 an ounce. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more Money Talk. Please do join me then. Stay tuned to Radio 3. Back chats coming up with Jim Gould and Ada Wong in just a moment. The weather forecast for today. Fine and dry. Maximum temperature of about 24 degrees. It is going to become appreciably cooler at night, though. And it's going to be fine and dry in the next couple of days, with temperatures falling progressively. There is a red fire danger warning in force here in Hong Kong. It's 21 degrees right now. 61% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Andrew Shirosky with the half-hour news. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling has questioned whether it's sustainable to quarantine all incoming travelers for seven days at the Penny's Bay Quarantine Center. He made the comments after Hong Kong tightened its anti-epidemic measures to ward off the spread of the Omicron coronavirus strain. He said asking everyone to stay in Penny's Bay makes a sense as a risk reduction measure, but it may not be sustainable in the long term. And I just imagine to myself... Uh, what if the head of HSBC comes back to Hong Kong and, and has to spend a week in Penny's Bay before going to to his hotel with Mandarin Oriental or wherever? Um, it, it, it's maybe not a good, uh, not ideal for for Hong Kong to 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 ask everybody to stay in Penny's Bay first. President Xi Jinping has pledged that China will donate 1 billion additional coronavirus vaccine doses to Africa. Mr. Xi said 600 million jabs would be sent directly, while the remainder would be delivered by other means. Less than 7% of Africa's population is fully vaccinated. President Xi made the announcement by video link to a China-Africa summit taking place in Senegal. To help the African Union realize its target of vaccinating 60% of African population by 2022, China will provide another 1 billion doses of COVID-19 vaccines for Africa, including 600 million doses for free, and the remaining 400 million doses in ways including joint production by Chinese enterprises and relevant African countries. President Biden has said the newly identified Omicron variant of coronavirus is a cause for concern, but not for panic. In an address from the White House, Mr. Biden said the need now was to get the rest of the world vaccinated. He praised South African scientists for notifying the World Health Organization about the new strain and said new travel restrictions had given America more time to respond. To their credit, the scientific community in South Africa quickly notified the world of the emergence of this new variant. 
This kind of transparency is to be encouraged and applauded because it increases our ability to respond quickly to any new threats. And that's exactly what we did. The prosecution has begun setting out its case on the first day of the trial in New York of the British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell. The assistant district attorney, Laura Pomerantz, said that she had preyed on vulnerable young girls and served them up to be sexually abused by the convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Ghislaine Maxwell has pleaded not guilty and says she's been made a scapegoat for Epstein's crimes. He took his life in prison in 2019 while awaiting trial. That's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On this morning's programme, we're talking about the emergence of the new COVID-19 variant, uh, Omicron, and efforts to stop it spreading worldwide. Hong Kong has reported three imported cases uh, uh, which of, of Omicron, which was first detected in southern Africa and has now been found in Israel, Germany, Italy, Britain and Australia. The new heavily mutated variant has prompted a number of countries and regions to impose new travel curbs. Arrivals in Hong Kong from anywhere with the Omicron outbreaks uh, now have to spend seven days at the Penny's Bay Quarantine Centre, followed by two weeks of hotel isolation. Australia will also review its plans to reopen borders to foreign students and skilled workers uh, from December the 1st. Meanwhile, President Xi Jinping has announced that uh, China is uh, donating an extra 1 billion vaccine doses to Africa. From 9.15, uh, we're changing the subject and we're talking more about uh, wild boars as the government's new catch-and-kill approach has sparked uh, criticism from animal rights groups and vets. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 and uh, we're joined uh, now on the line by uh, Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And we hope to be joined uh, by a couple of uh, other guests uh, a little later in the programme. But uh, first of all, uh, Ben Cowling, good morning to you. So uh, we just heard you uh, in the news summary there saying uh, it may not be practical to uh, to put everybody into the uh, Penny's Bay Quarantine Centre. Um, uh, if it gets to the stage where uh, everybody arriving from a country with an Omicron outbreak is, is, is supposed to be isolated there for seven days, uh, it, I mean, is that going to work? What, what, is there enough capacity over there at Penny's Bay? Right now, I think we have 11,000 rooms in designated quarantine hotels. I'm not sure how many room, uh, rooms have been opened in Penny's Bay for arrivals, but maybe 3,000 or 4,000, something like that. So it, it's not quite enough uh, to, to, to match the capacity of designated quarantine hotels. Uh, I think what's really needed is a specialised purpose-built facility, like an upgraded Penny's Bay with uh, lots of different kinds of rooms, lots of different sizes. Uh, the government could charge different prices for, for uh, the presidential suite or, you know, for the, for the, for the basic room, uh, because I think that would make it much more sustainable. We've seen that there are 
concerns about transmission in designated quarantine hotels. Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened very often, but it has happened a handful of times in Hong Kong, and it's happened in other parts of the world as well. Australia and New Zealand reported a number of, of those uh, transmission events. And we know is, it, there is a risk associated with, with keeping people in, in the hotels we have in Hong Kong. Uh, so, so having a designated purpose-built facility would be better. But I think Penny's Bay uh, is needed for close contact quarantine and, uh, and bed the size may not be sufficient. And also the, the, the variety of, of room types and options may not be sufficient as a sustainable solution. Um, there is still a lot we don't know about uh, this uh, variant, this Omicron. Um, what do we know so far? And, and why is it not, um, you know, in every country yet? I guess, I mean, there are now cases in 14 territories and um, those have been elevated to uh, Category A uh, places. But surely if this is uh, going to spread very, very quickly, then I guess people arriving from around the world who would be subject to the same kind of treatment. We picked up the first case in a person that came into Hong Kong two weeks ago. I don't think that many people are coming to Hong Kong from, from South Africa or, or southern parts of Africa. Uh, there's a lot more people traveling from that region to other parts of the world. So most likely there have been small numbers of infections uh, seeded in many other parts of the world. But uh, within these two weeks, even if it's been spread in the case, numbers will still be relatively small. I would expect in the next one or two weeks to hear more and more countries discovering that they do actually have Omicron cases in their community. Maybe they don't know it today, but they're going to find out soon. I think Germany was the, the most recent that I saw that discovered some cases in their community. Um, and how quickly Omicron becomes detectable in, in other countries will give us an indication of, of the threat it poses in terms of how well it can spread. Uh, the thing that, that's really alerted people to it so far is the number of mutations particularly on the spike protein which is the protein on the surface of the coronavirus which allows it to to get into human cells and cause infections and the mrna vaccine targets the spike protein specifically um and having a, a number of mutations in that protein especially on on the very head of that the very tip of that is is a a cause for concern because in theory, it, it might give the virus the ability to evade the immunity that we get against infection from being vaccinated or, in, in some cases, in, in people who've previously been infected with other strains. Mm. Yeah, as Ada says, there's uh, still a lot that we don't know about it, but um, how much of a uh, potential threat is it likely to be? Apparently, uh, the reports from South Africa say cases uh, detected so far, especially among young vaccinated people, have been uh, the, the symptoms have been rather mild. I think let, let's wait for more information from, from other parts of the world. Now that we've seen more and more countries detecting cases in the community, I would expect more data to be available soon on how, how Omicron infections lurk in, in different places with different levels of immunity from prior infections, different levels of immunity from vaccinations. I would say today we, we don't have a good assessment of the severity profile uh hopefully it's it's not as severe as the, the delta variant has been in terms of the the, the the severity for an individual infection on average um but we know that even if most infections are mild with covid um for example in, in, in previous variants only five percent of, of infections led to hospitalization uh still when you multiply uh, a small percentage by a large number of infections 
you can still have a, a lot of severe cases. And, and uh, this is two years now into the pandemic when I think we were, we were all hoping that uh, we might have a break. Mm. I mean, vaccines change and mutate uh, all the time, uh, don't they? Uh, um, is there sort of, well, I guess there must be possibilities that in future uh, we could have new, uh, new variants emerging. I think that's always a possibility. It, it looks like the Omicron variant has changed more than we might have expected. It's changed a lot compared to previous, previous variants like the Delta variant. And that's a bit of a surprise. It's not quite clear how it happened. Um, and you, you're right that in the future there might be other changes as well. But what I would expect to happen with COVID-19 is that as time goes on, as more and more people have experience with the virus, either having infections or vaccinations or, or, or both in some cases, uh, then subsequent infections will tend to be milder and milder. And the reports in South Africa of infections being generally mild is it, not surprising to me because actually in South Africa, they've had a lot of infections in the past two years. They've had three major epidemic waves, including an epidemic of Delta, which ended two months ago after the country effectively reached herd immunity. So they had so many people infected with the Delta variant that it couldn't spread anymore. Um, and they don't have a lot of vaccine in, in South Africa, I think 25%, 25%. vaccine coverage. Mm. Uh, so, so they've got a lot of natural immunity and subsequent epidemics, whether it's Omicron or something else, potentially would have lower impact, would be in, in the longer term heading towards COVID being more like a common cold. Uh, it was also um, said that uh, the uh, Omicron could affect uh, recovered COVID patients. Uh, or do we know anything more about that? Yeah, well, that, that's also, if Delta can, can do that as well. Delta can, can infect people who previously had COVID or previously been vaccinated. And Omicron will be no different to that. And in the longer term, we expect COVID to be more like a common cold infection where you or I could get common colds every year. Actually, I haven't had a common cold for the last 18 months because we haven't had much in Hong Kong. But uh, prior to COVID, it's not unusual to get common cold infections, including with human coronaviruses before COVID. And in the longer term, I would expect COVID-19 to, to behave more like that, where occasionally we'll, we'll get an infection and it will, it will tend to be mild. Because, of course, the common cold is a coronavirus as well, right? But there, There's a lot of viruses that cause the common cold, and okay. one of the, the types of viruses that cause a common cold are human coronaviruses, that's right. Right, right. But, uh, you know, you get a common cold uh, during the winter or whatever, and uh, the next year it happens again. So, um, I mean, I mean w we don't actually develop uh, any any immunity, uh, you know, uh, towards well, the common we, cold? we do, and I, I think there's some anecdotes from when common colds first were first introduced to, to communities in the, in the Amazon jungle where mm -hmm. they'd never had it before and the infections tended to be much more severe. Right. I think there's some common cold viruses, which if we'd never had them before in our life, when we were, maybe when we were children, then they, they'd be quite severe. And so I think with COVID-19, the virus itself may not change a lot, but the characteristics of the infection will get less and less severe the more experienced people have with it, and particularly if they've had the infection when they're younger. Um, and then, so, so they've got that immunity that, that builds up over the course of their life. And so that's why common colds are, are not so serious. Um, even so, some people do get seriously ill with common, common colds, just bad luck or, or some other reason uh, every year. But uh, I think that's the way that COVID is heading, that it will be milder and milder as, as the years go by. 
So, um, yeah, all, all around the world, many countries are now living with COVID, um, as you said. Uh, but, um, you know, here in China, um, the mainland and Hong Kong, we, we have a different strategy. And we, we have, you know, different measures when a, a variant surfaces. How, how, how do you think this, this might end? I, I mean, so uh, now we have a new variant and we have stricter measures in, um, in entry to Hong Kong. Uh, we might have a new variant come 2022. So this will never stop, won't it? Right. So the, the virus is not going to go away. And I think you're right that in the future there could be changes in the virus that, that uh, allow it to keep circulating and keep causing epidemics in other countries. But those other countries may not be as concerned as we are in China because they, they would have had multiple epidemics in the past and, and infections tending to get milder and milder. So, so for China, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly is the, the longer-term plan, but one possibility, I guess, suppose you could say it's a, a dream, is that in some years' time we'll have even better vaccines, even better antiviral drugs. And so at that point in time, we could do more rounds of vaccination, stock up on the antivirals, and then relax all the COVID measures like Singapore is doing now, but with, with, a, with a lot of immunity in the population and the antiviral drugs to treat severe infections and end up as, as being the, the one place in the world that has a minimal number of severe COVID cases. Um, but that, that may take time, that may take years, and it's not clear whether that scenario will, will come to pass. Okay, uh, we're now uh, joined uh, on the line also for the next 10 minutes or so by uh, Professor Mary Louise McClaws, who's an epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales uh, in Australia and uh, advisor to the World Health Organization. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim, and good morning, and, Benjamin. Uh, and, uh, and our co-host uh, here is uh, Ada Wong. Yes, good morning uh, to you. Uh, um, good morning, Ada. Thanks, morning. For, thanks very much for joining us. Um, so... Uh, so Australia um, is going to review its plans to uh, reopen its borders to uh, foreign students and skilled workers from tomorrow um, as a result of the emergence of this uh, Omicron variant. Um, what is happening now in Australia? Well, at the moment, um, uh, Jim, in Australia, uh, seven countries uh, in South Africa are being prevented from entering. Uh, now, we should have learnt from last year, in um, March last year, when we closed our border to the Wuhan strain, that we just closed it to China, and yet we had um, subsequent cases come in from America, Europe, the UK, basically everywhere. So just closing the border to nine South African countries is really the minimum, given that we've now just had 17 countries um, list uh, uh, confirmed cases and another four uh, countries who don't have confirmed cases but have probable cases. So it basically says that this may have got into the community or it may just be travellers. So we're still in that uh, phase where we should be highly precautious and quite frankly we should just for at least the next two weeks while epidemiologists and virologists find out more uh, re require everyone coming in to spend at least one incubation period um, who are definitely double vaccinated uh, in quarantine and have 
a test on the first day and definitely day four when the viral load's high and day five before we release them. Uh, but we're not yet doing that. But we are apparently talking about um, booster shots that have been um, advised by our Therapeutic and Goods uh, Administration to be administered at the six months. But Israel and work done uh, by the Kirby Institute, led by Miles Davenport, have shown that, of course, uh, you know, neutralizing antibodies start waning uh, very early, before six months. So uh, what, what are the quarantine measures like now in Australia? Apart from those nine countries in Africa, I guess um, they're more relaxed now, aren't they? Uh, they are. We have uh, apparently, sadly, five cases identified to be Omicron uh, so far. And uh, we still not have not built purpose-built quarantine facilities. And, of course, in Hong Kong, we have heard, I, d um, I don't know how definite it has been, that a second case in a traveler on the other side of the corridor has been infected uh, with this mutation. And we've had multiple issues like that with uh, Delta and, of course, other mutations as well. So, you know, hotels are not the best place. Uh, and they certainly aren't uh, well um, ventilated. Uh, and having people on both sides of the corridor is not a wise thing to do when uh, if there are experts in Hong Kong in um, engineering of uh, ventilation have identified at a WHO uh, meeting where you know, just opening up the door can uh, cause a positive air pressure with, um, you know, corridor... Um, possible um, contaminated air that's been built up and just staying there, going to a room or the lifts causing um, positive air pressure changes. So we really do need to understand this is not the first and the last pandemic that will happen in our lifetime, that we really do need to build better facilities to keep people safe. Uh, the emergence of this uh, Omicron variant in southern Africa, where the, uh, the, the vaccination coverage is relatively low, um, how much does that emphasise the message from the WHO and other organisations that, uh, that the vaccine coverage needs to be uh, much greater worldwide to prevent uh, conditions for these variants emerging? That's absolutely correct. I mean, Dr. Tedros keeps saying um, we're not safe until we're all safe. And this is a reminder that until everyone gets vaccinated and double-dosed at least, um, we uh, provide this virus with a living test tube to uh, mutate. And, you know, some mutations are not very successful and others are highly successful like Delta and hopefully not Omicron. So we really do need to have wealthy countries donate um, vaccines. We need Pfizer and Moderna uh, to basically uh, remove uh, that intellectual property so that countries uh, that are middle uh, income and low income can start to build factories to make vaccines um, so that they're cheaper, so that they can get it out to the community. And also we need to particularly... Um, you know, 
advertise and educate, particularly the 20 to 39-year age group. They have carried the burden of um, not just Delta, but any strain. And certainly, uh, at the moment, the majority of cases in um, South Africa have been that age group. And it's, it's not unusual because they've got, they're highly socially interacting at work as well. They can sometimes have children. And so they have that opportunity to acquire infection and spread it. And they're the ones we really have failed to vaccine first. We've looked after and used very much a compassionate framework with rolling out the vaccine to protect the elderly. But quite frankly, it could have come from an epidemiological um, um, method of protecting those who are most at risk of acquiring it and spreading it and then protect everybody else. Um, But we haven't done that and I hope that this is a reminder the younger our future and the younger at risk and we need to protect them. Right. I, I note that um, Japan has announced uh, the closing of its borders for the next 14 days. Now, Hong Kong has not done so yet. What, what, what do you think Australia uh, could do in, in the next uh, couple of weeks? Would a total lockdown well, look yeah. like? Yeah. Look, I understand. Yeah, I understand. WHO um, abides by the International Health Regulation of 2005, which I think was probably written post-SARS in 2003, that had a much lower transmission rate. The closing borders is not good for the economy and people's families, etc. However, from an outbreak management perspective, closing borders does contain the problem until we know what the problem is that the world's dealing with with this particular mutation. Is it worse than Delta? Is it the same? Uh, And I think that it would be very sensible to uh, ensure that if you do have safe um, quarantine facilities, that you bring people in and keep them there. Um, And if they're double vaccinated, you know, for at least one full incubation period. But that's what we, we still don't know whether or not, and I'm not suggesting this is the case, but we don't know whether uh, the testing uh, picks up uh, this particular mutation early, or does it only pick it up, you know, at that peak um, period, at about day four? Uh, and how long uh, are they potentially at risk of spreading it? Uh, and so, at least a full incubation period, but potentially two. Um, but if they can't do that, then closing the border completely. But it's you know really bad culturally bad opportunity, you know, with the um, the world moving towards uh, Christmas and hoping to see family that they often haven't seen for a long time. They've been kept out of some countries um, or they've been under lockdown themselves. And so it really is a very sad moment, but they have to um, at least understand that if, that if, if borders were closed, for travel for at least two weeks while the epidemiologists and the virologists uh, learn more, that it's highly precautious and it's for their own in, you know, best interest. Um, ben Cowling, we also uh, heard in our news that uh, China is going to donate uh, one billion uh, vaccine doses to Africa and uh, also uh, President Biden in the US has said uh, now we've got to get the world vaccinated. Uh, do you think we're moving um, in the right direction? I think that's certainly a good move and we know that vaccines can save lives 
uh, at the same time, it, 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 it's not as early as it could have been. Um, if, if more vaccines had been available earlier, then, then we would have seen the global vaccination coverage be higher now than it is. It's 42% globally uh, with, with people with two doses. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I think there's still more to be done, particularly in improving manufacturing capacity. And right now, if we're imagining that, that, that uh, vaccines are going to be updated with the Omicron variant, then, again, we're going to need more manufacturing capacity to create these doses as soon as possible. I mean, there's a lot of cr criticism of uh, vaccine inequality, it's called. Uh, and, you know, countries like, for instance, uh, the UK uh, giving boosted doses to its citizens when uh, um, you know, many countries in the world uh, don't have enough. Well, that's right. And I, I think it's very clear that, that a, a dose of vaccine can do more good if it's given as a first dose than if it's given as a third dose. But I, I see the problem as one of manufacturing capacity more so than inequity. Uh, if you imagine the 43% vaccine coverage was spread evenly through the whole world, meaning Australia 43%, Hong Kong 43%, United Kingdom 43%, United States 43%, I, I think that the pandemic would, would have taken a very different course. Many parts of the world might still be in lockdown now, uh, where, whereas they're not. So, so I, I'm not sure that inequity is, is, is the issue. I think the manufacturing capacity for me is the, is the big issue that hasn't been solved. Okay. Okay. Well, well, stay with us, uh, Benjamin Cowling. We've got to take a break for the news. Uh, uh, thanks very much to uh, Professor Mary Louise uh, McClaws, uh, epidemiologist at the University of New South Wales and an advisor to the World Health Organization. If you want to get in touch, uh, Facebook is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 I'll read out some emails uh, when we come back after the news summary. Uh, the weather is going to be fine and dry. Top temperature around 24 degrees today, uh, but it's going to get cooler over the uh, next couple of days. Um, currently, the temperature is 21 degrees, humidity 58%. The red fire danger warning is in effect. Welcome back to Backchat uh, with uh, Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning we're talking about the emergence of the new Omicron COVID-19 variant and uh, efforts to uh, control it. Uh, uh, we're, uh, we have with us uh, on the line Benjamin Cowling, uh, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, we're also now joined by Dr Siddhartha Sridhar, Clinical Assistant Professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. I did mention just before the break that uh, we had some emails. Actually, they relate mostly to yesterday's topic, so I'll save those until later. Uh, except, except one here from uh, Simon writes, um, the new variant is a storm in a teacup. Uh, the doctors that found it are quoted as saying so far the cases of COVID caused by this variant are mild. Uh, regardless, uh, my sense is that uh, the government is looking for an excuse to have all inbound travellers quarantine in a government facility, that being uh, Penny's Bay. Um, well, I think the point is, and the point that... Um, uh, all the medical people and scientists are making is that we don't really know enough about it at the moment and it's early days and we're still uh, looking into it and um, precautions have to be uh, taken. Um, um, uh, Dr Siddharth Sridhar, good morning to you. Good morning. 
morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, we, we were talking a little bit uh, before the break about vaccines. Um, now, it's uh, interesting to see that the major pharmaceutical firms, including uh, BioNTech, Sinovac, Moderna, uh, Novavax, they all say they have plans to adapt their vaccines in light of the emergence uh, of this new uh, variant. Um, and I've seen a, a timeline of maybe around 100 days for uh, new vaccines if they're necessary to be made available. Um, it, it, what do you think of that situation? Is that, is that how you see it? Yeah, we are in a little bit of an unprecedented situation with Omicron. So it's a very heavily mutated spike. So there are lots of mutations in the spike. And uh, what we know for sure is that uh, many of these mutations have been associated with uh, a decrease in vaccine effectiveness against symptomatic COVID-19. Uh, because Omicron does share some of these mutations with previously encountered uh, uh, variants. So the, the first thing to do really is to see how well um, antibodies that are obtained from patients, from people who have received the vaccine or people who have recovered from COVID-19 before, how good those antibodies are in neutralizing the new Omicron variant. I'm sure plenty of groups around the world are working on this at the moment and we'll get that answer very, very soon. So we'll know um, how good uh, uh, the, the, you know, the current uh, generation of vaccines are against uh, or Omicron in terms of neutralization. But even so, I do expect that the um, currently administered vaccines should have some degree of protection against some forms of Omicron infection, in particular severe infection, because that does rely on other arms of the immune response apart from antibodies like T cells. So um, it, it would be a great surprise to me if Omicron suddenly renders the vaccines that we are given out so far completely useless. What we can expect is probably Omicron is going to reduce the effectiveness of the vaccines against uh, symptomatic COVID-19, but not necessarily against severe COVID-19. So I think uh, that, 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 that is what I'd expect, but we should get confirmation of that fairly soon. Mm. So if we can expect, um, uh, let's say, uh, uh, not, not a new vaccine, but a vaccine that could um, protect us from Omicron as well, do, do you think Hong Kong would get that in, in the first quarter of next year? And for those who already have two jabs, uh, do you think they should go for this third jab? I'm thinking oh, ahead. <laughs> so many uncertainties and it would be a bit premature of me to <laughs> to say that Hong Kong should get an Omicron jab and we we don't really know how Omicron would take off. The, the early signs are worrying. It's uh, definitely uh, circulating quite aggressively in southern Africa and there are um, uh, cases of Omicron being picked up around the world. In some cases apparently without a travel history to southern Africa. So there are early indications that they're spreading. But I would also uh, uh, remind uh, that we've been in this position before with certain variants that didn't quite take off on a global scale, like variants like, uh, for example, uh, beta or gamma that, that gained regional dominance but didn't really uh, overwhelm uh, the, the, uh, the, the world on a global scale like Delta has, for example. So there are many uncertainties about where Omicron is going to go from here, uh, let alone whether vaccine manufacturers are going to invest in a new Omicron vaccine. So given so many uncertainties, I think Hong Kong is in a good position <laughs> finally to watch and wait uh, because we have this elaborate apparatus to uh, contain Omicron at the borders, uh, having one of the you know longest quarantine 
strictest quarantines for inbound travelers in the world. So uh, we can really uh, wait and see how this plays out before um, uh, committing to, uh, a, to, to, to a new vaccine, for example. Mm. Yeah. Um, Benjamin Cowling, uh, uh, obviously we're talking this, this morning about uh, Omicron. Um, for the last few months, it's all been about um, the Delta variant. But uh, are the other uh, coronavirus variants still circulating? No, they've mostly disappeared. So right. around the world, mo most infections are now with the Delta variant. Uh, and the question now is whether Omicron is going to to outcompete Delta and, and start to be detected more commonly in, in other parts of the world. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see for that. Mm. So you mentioned before that, um, you know, this coronavirus um, should weaken somehow, even though it is mutating uh, rapidly. And perhaps in, you know, uh, in the future, it will become a common code. Um, I, yeah, I, I should be clear. I don't think the virus will necessarily weaken. And if there are communities in the world, for example, us in Hong Kong that, that never have experience with it, then even in five or ten years' time, when the virus seems to be a, a common cold virus in other parts of the world, it could still be a very serious infection here. It's not the virus that weakens, it's the, the, the community's immunity that gets stronger and stronger with repeated exposures and turns the virus into a common cold virus because of that, that immunity that's built up over the years. I mean, uh, as a layperson, and just compared to SARS, you know, we had SARS, it was very severe, and then it sort of disappeared uh, rather quickly. Uh, but with the coronavirus, it's a pandemic, and um, it's still with us uh, after uh, 24 months. And, and so, so I guess we, we don't see the end in sight yet. Well, I, I don't think the virus is going to disappear like SARS. I, I think SARS was, it wasn't that it disappeared suddenly. We, we controlled it with very effective public health measures and particularly uh, because infections were generally occurring in hospitals it was it was improvements in infection control in hospitals and identification of cases and so on uh, so so with COVID-19 even though we've managed to eliminate it locally in Hong Kong I don't think the virus will disappear from the world there will be other, it will be circulating in other parts of the world in the coming years and and sooner or later it, it will find its way back to Hong Kong um, so I, I don't think SARS is, is really a, a good comparison. I would see influenza as, as maybe a better comparison, where the first year that, that new flu viruses come in, uh, they, they tend to cause larger numbers of infections and, and, and maybe more severe disease. And then as, as population immunity builds up over the years, infections uh, become slightly milder. Um, uh, okay, uh, email here from Bill uh, with the subject line transparency says uh, if I was an epidemiologist uh, I wouldn't reveal any new virus uh, based on the reaction from around the world uh, to uh, Omicron. Um, I mean there's been an awful lot of criticism from uh, people in southern Africa from the, the South African president to the travel bans that were immediately imposed on the country and other countries in southern Africa after the existence of this new variant variant uh, was revealed. Um, Dr. Sridhar, do you think uh, it's helpful in uh, controlling the virus in a, a worldwide sense to impose um, such travel bans so quickly? Uh, probably not. I, I, I think we're already seeing news that it's uh, spread in countries that are perhaps not covered by the travel bans of countries that have imposed them. So I, I don't think uh, bilateral travel bans uh, are, are going to uh, have much of a role in terms of long-term control of Omicron. They, they may delay the onset of community transmission due to Omicron, 
but uh, I don't think they're going to uh, stop it in the long run um, because it's, it's not a Hong Kong type situation in other parts of the world where you have much more um, free travel going on. So if you have uh, countries that don't have such strict travel restrictions between themselves and Southern Africa, uh, country, affected countries in Southern Africa, you have cases cropping up there that can then go on to the countries that do impose such travel bans. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> Professor Cowling would give a much more arrogant answer to this question, but I don't think they're going to play too much of a role in uh, the, the, the long term. Okay. Uh, yeah, Ben Cowling? Well, no, I, I, yeah, I, I agree with, with uh, Dr. Swidow. I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's a reaction that we often see, but, but uh, there's many scientific studies showing that it really doesn't have much impact in terms of delaying uh, transmission in the community. Um, as, as Mary Louise McClaw said earlier, it, we don't only have to worry about infections coming over from, from South Africa or, or the neighboring countries uh, fairly soon. We're going to see Omicron cases being, being uh, 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 spread around the world from other, other places as well, because there is most likely community transmission in, in many other places already. So I know, and one of my concerns is that these measures are often brought in very quickly, but they're not taken away again nearly as soon as they could be. And another example of that, actually, lo locally, we have Indonesia and the Philippines in category A, in group A, with a, with a long quarantine and, and a requirement for travelers to be vaccinated. But if you've seen the statistics on COVID in Indonesia and the Philippines, they have very, very few cases now. Um, they, 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 their epidemics are over. So actually, it would be a good time now to, to take them out of group A. And that would also then free up the, the rooms in Penny's Bay that are being used for domestic helpers at the moment, that uh, maybe they could be freed up for travellers from other parts of the world where it's uh, where COVID is at a higher prevalence. Um, if um, all of you say that, uh, yes, the, the Omicron is, is a new variant, but uh, people have milder symptoms or asymptomatic, I think um, you know, Dr. Sylvia Chen in an early interview said that uh, the cases found in Hong Kong were you know, very mild and asymptomatic. So, so what what is the, the major concern? Uh, surely now it wouldn't really overload uh, our hospital capacity. Uh, why why are we still so concerned? I think it's, it's too early to say that. So we've only seen three cases, and on average, I think ninety five percent of COVID cases are mild. So we've seen three out of three a mile, but, but the fourth one could be more serious or the fifth one, um, and, and only one in 20 on average would, would be more severe. So I, I don't think we can read too much into that. And also in South Africa, as I mentioned, they've got a lot of immunity built up in the population with repeated waves of, of COVID infecting large numbers of people. So the experience in South Africa may not also uh, uh, be the same as what we'd experience in Hong Kong if Omicron spreading in our community. So I think we have to be very cautious right now um, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on the situation in other parts of the world and, and hope for more data on Omicron in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, can I put that question to you that we were discussing with uh, Mary Louise McClaws uh, before nine o'clock, and that is the the drive to have uh, certain parts of the world which have a low vaccine coverage uh, to get their coverage much higher, so that uh, hopefully that would help to prevent the emergence of uh, new variants, which is then going to escape and uh, affect the rest of the world. Well, certainly providing vaccines to to all parts of the world would certainly save lives. Uh, having said that, I, my understanding is South Africa has asked for no more vaccines to be sent there because 
after reaching about 25% vaccine coverage, there's very little demand for further doses of vaccine. Uh, that, that's what I saw in the news uh, yesterday. I'm not sure if it's accurate. But um, certainly having more vaccines available will save more lives. I'm not sure about whether having higher vaccine coverage globally would, would reduce the chance of new variants emerging. I think these are quite chance events, quite, quite unlucky events, and it's not quite clear how they happen. Um, so I, I'm not sure that's the reason to have higher vaccine coverage. I think the reason is because vaccines can save lives. Okay. Uh, Dr. Sridhar? Yeah, I, I, I entirely agree. Let's uh, get vaccines to under-vaccinated regions, and I think the most important reason is to provide individual protection to vulnerable people in those communities that need it. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a very, very complex issue, and the factors that drive uh, vaccine hesitancy or in different parts of the world can be very dramatically different. So it, it, it's, it's going to be a very complicated issue in the months to come, but something that we've got to get sorted, because vaccination to date is still by far the best protection against severe COVID-19 um, for, for anyone. Okay. And, and that's still, I think, the best thing to do in 2022, right? Either get your booster shots or, you know, have, uh, have yourself vaccinated if you still haven't done so. And, and, and there's no more outlook because, uh, I mean, people like me, my friends, <laughs> the friends around me, they are looking forward to um, traveling again. I, I guess it's too early to tell. Free oh, traveling without quarantine. Oh, yeah, especially with the advent of Omicron, if, if it spreads more widely around the world, I don't see Hong Kong uh, relaxing uh, its border restrictions uh, any anytime soon. And in fact, uh, travelers might face somewhat onerous restrictions in other parts of the world as well that are slow to relax uh, 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 tra- travel restrictions or travel bans. We've seen a lot of countries even impose restrictions on Hong Kong due to the Omicron cases that were detected in uh, quarantine here. So <laughs> that's an example of the kind of, you know, irrationality that goes into some of these decisions. That, that's really going to affect travel. Yeah. Okay. If you could both uh, just hold on for just a moment, just before we bring uh, this section of the programme uh, to a close, because there's a question here from a listener, Mark, says, uh, uh, if uh, one was an early adopter of vaccines and had just and had a second jab six months ago, should we look to follow recommendations of getting a booster shot now to improve immunity or wait for the next generation of vaccines which are adapted to the new variants? This in particular for anyone who might have to travel in the next three months out of the Hong Kong-China zero COVID bubble. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Sridhar? If you're going, to, if you're looking to travel in the short term and you've received a, a, a vaccine that long ago, say more than six months ago, then definitely go and get the booster shot because as of this moment, Delta is still king. So we still have Delta all around the world and we do know that vaccines are, are very good at protecting us against severe Delta infections. So at this stage, definitely go get your booster if you're looking to travel outside uh, Hong Kong. Benjamin Cowling? Yeah, I agree with Dr. Swidham. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much uh, for... uh to both of you for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, and also from uh, Hong Kong U, Dr Siddharth Sridhar, Clinical Assistant Professor at the Department of Microbiology. Um, Thank you very much to both of you. Just before we turn to our final uh, topic uh, this morning... um, 
Uh, well, um, I have an, e e an email on the subject, which I will read out first uh, before we uh, introduce uh, our guest. Uh, this comes from uh, Mark. So Mark lives in the Saikong area, I believe. Uh, right, we're talking about the issue of wild boars. Uh, in the countryside and wandering into the urban areas. It, uh, it's an issue that's raised a lot of interest among our listeners uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, and, of course, the government has now adopted the policy of uh, capturing and killing uh, the wild boars which uh, stray into urban areas. So... Uh, Mark says, uh, I've been a regular hiker at night for decades. Uh, before 2017, I did not see any wild boar on the trails on uh, Hong Kong Island. Uh, sorry, Mark, not Sai Kung, Hong Kong Island. This is about... Now I see them often, and it is sometimes very scary. Even if you don't want to surprise or frighten them, it is certainly possible to do so unwittingly at night. And if they're startled, they make a blood-curdling, threatening noise that no one will ever forget. You can listen to one of these yourself on YouTube. So I agree there should be moderate culling to at least get the population down to 2017 levels. Uh, that from Mark. Uh, well, we're joined uh, on the line by Dr David Getting, uh, founder and chief veterinary officer at uh, Creature Comforts uh, Veterinary Group. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? So, uh, uh, fine, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. So, so there has been a lot of controversy over this new uh, policy of uh, capturing and killing uh, wild boars that stray into urban areas. Um, but, uh, you know, the other side of the coin is that uh, they... They have uh, been, you know, they have attacked people. Uh, they've caused uh, injuries. Um, you know, where should we draw the line? How should we find the, the balance? Look, I agree, it, and it really is that question of balance. I'd also agree with the, the general marker emailed you in. I, I do live in Cyclone Clearwater Bay, and uh, I, when I go out hiking in the morning, I. I Seeing a board used to be a real treat. These days, it's every day that I, I see one out there. So it certainly seems like they're getting more confident to come into urban or suburban areas. Um, I, you know, I, I will also say, I'm a little bit biased on this, I actually quite like seeing them. It's, 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 it's nice, but I know from with my dog, sometimes it can get out of hand. So we have to be a little bit careful here. Mm. I really think the problem is, is I mean, it, it's simple population dynamics. You know, we, we have a situation now where Unfortunately, the boars have learned to raid the, the, the trash and learn, learn sort of, you know, I go to the barbecue areas near, near where we live and there's, there's food scattered around, there's boars eating it. And when you have more food supply in the, in, 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 in the environment, they're going to breed more, they're going to have more babies, and hence we see what we've got today. Um, so look, I do, I mean, I agree with, with Dr. Gary Aids from Kaduri who, who said, look, unfortunately, probably at the end of the day there will need to be some culling but before we get to that stage let's look at the causes and let's try and let's try and fix what we can do uh, as far as people feeding the boars people leaving litter out trash that we you know trash that they can go and raid and knock over Let, let's take away these food sources Okay. Um, it, it, another email here, actually, uh, from M. Writes uh, from this one is uh, he does live in Saikong. From my observations in Saikong, the very poor design of refuse collection points is largely responsible for encouraging feral pigs to leave their habitat and seek an easy meal. FEHD, that's Food and Environmental Hygiene Department, should redesign refuse collection facilities to make them pig-proof. I personally have been camp 
com sorry, complaining about one facility in Taku Ling Sun Chun for three years, but FEHD has done nothing. They claimed they were going to upgrade the facility two years ago, but these were empty promises. If these uh, refuse collection points were properly designed and managed, the pigs would not congregate there. AFCD can then focus on catching and prosecuting the cretins that feed the feral pigs rather than slaughtering the animals. Um, yeah, so... I would, I would completely agree with that. Say, mm. I mean, I live in I live near Shungshiwan, and in Shungshiwan in Clearwater Bay they have upgraded the bins to try and make them more boreproof, uh, which is great. But, you know, you, you do go hiking in the country parks or even some of the other bins around our place, and, and without fail every morning they're knocked over and the litter is scattered everywhere because the boars know it's a really easy meal. And, you know, you could be out there in the wild foraging for food, which is hard work, or you could wander down to the suburban areas and knock over a bin and, and eat leftover pizza crusts, and which one are you going to choose if you're a wild boar? Um, that's, that's a big part of the problem. So I definitely agree that has to be addressed before we go and just... Getting to the end of the problem of culling the boars is, 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 is going to be just a, a never-ending problem. You know, it's not the right way to go. There may need to be a little bit of that for boars who are aggressive or, or ones who really are causing issues, but we have to fix the root of the problem. Right, so as the main root of the problem is probably human behaviour and perhaps uh, because of the pandemic and so on, there are more hikers now in, in the hills and they leave a lot of uh, trash behind. Now, how, how do we change human behaviour? Uh, you'd have to ask a psychologist that question, not yeah. a veterinarian. But I would say to you, I mean, look, I, I agree with the listener who said we should design the bins better. That's definitely one thing. I also think we need we need to, to I hate to say it, but we need to, to find or to, to prosecute people who do feed wild animals or at least make it clear it's not the right way. And I know that people who do this do that out of the goodness of their hearts. And, it, you know, I know that they're trying to do the best thing. But when you provide an unnatural food source for animals, you're providing them with a a niche they shouldn't have. Um, and the other thing I hear about is people talking about boars being culled and how fair, um, unfair it is on the boar, which I understand. But also remember when you have a population explosion, there are other animals in the wild where the balance is being upset and those animals are being affected badly by the increase in boar numbers as well. So it's not just about the boars, it's about the whole ecosystem. I understand wild boars are quite clever, right? Yeah. I mean, I actually saw them knocking down the, all these uh, big green um, uh, rubbish bins, the containers. Uh, the first time they couldn't do it, but they tried a couple of times and they could. You are absolutely right. And actually, when you're going through vet school, you have to learn special... When we were doing examinations on boars, you have to learn special knots to sort of restrain them with because the boars are too clever for the normal knots. They learn how to untie them very quickly when you try to tie them up. So boars are incredibly intelligent. That's true. And they can get very big as well, can't they? And um, and and, they and are they usually quite uh, fierce? But because I mean, in the past, I saw the boars, and they were actually quite frightened to see humans. I've, I mean, I've been. It's very, very rare to hear about a situation where a boar will attack a person. I think it's extremely rare, and I think it could be only when they were cornered and they had piglets or had a litter. I do occasionally see boars who've gotten into a fight with the dog. So I see, I see the dog who's come off the worst of wear for a fight with a wild boar. But that's generally when the dog goes out and actually attacks the boar and the boar's defending themselves. So I don't think boars are naturally aggressive creatures. Okay, okay. Uh, sorry, Ada, did you have a... No, no, but I said, you know, they are now very aggressive boars. And, and why, why was that behaviour changed? I think if you've got a foodstuff there, and, you know, if these, if these creatures, as you say, they're highly intelligent, they know there's an easy meal, and, and if they can sort of show a bit of, as the, as, as the, the listener Mark wrote in, if they can sort of grunt and growl and, and get what they want and get a response, then we're kind of, 
I hate to say it, we're trying to train them in the behavior we don't want them to do, as in they can come to society or civilization, they can sort of muscle in and they can get a free meal, and they're going to keep doing it. And so we have to take away that source of the free meal and we have to educate people it's not not the way forward. And you're not, you're not helping the boy, you're actually making things worse for them. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, Dr. David Getting there, founder and chief veterinary officer at uh, Creature Comforts uh, Veterinary Group. Um, before we uh, bring an end to this morning's program, um, a couple of emails relating to uh, yesterday's uh, topic, uh, which was about uh, fake news and possible uh, controls uh, on the media and media self-regulation. Um, this one... Uh, from uh, Mighty Reds Hong Kong, uh, Mighty Reds HK, uh, referring to uh, something that our yesterday's co-host uh, Anna Fenton said. So says uh, Anna Fenton claimed that the Sun newspaper in the UK doesn't, didn't lie or make up fictitious stories. Please find attached a story from the BBC about the Hillsborough disaster relating to coverage of the events by the Sun newspaper. I quote from the BBC article and I'm not suggesting that the BBC uh, is, uh, I don't know, reliable or mm, don't quite get that uh, bit. But anyway, uh, it, the Sun, claimed some fans picked pockets of victims, urinated on police officers and beat up one officer as he gave the kiss of life. Almost every word has turned out to be untrue. To this day, the Sun has almost no circulation in the great city of Liverpool because of the repugnant lies they told in the aftermath of the tragedy. Remember the 97. You'll never walk alone on behalf of the Liverpool Supporters Club Hong Kong branch. That, of course, is a reference to the Sun's coverage uh, of the uh, the Hillsborough disaster when uh, a number of uh, Liverpool fans uh, tragically uh, lost their lives um, at that game. Uh, Neil Dunn, Neil writes, uh, James Ockenden took offence at some remarks about journalists. As Anna Fenton said, as long as you are responsible, responsible journalists get their facts right. Medical checks on drivers over 70 are not, as James said, a shot in the dark, but a tried and tested system used in many overseas jurisdictions to enhance road safety. The skill here is setting the right balance between uh, elderly mobility and road safety. Um, OK, uh, uh, I'm just going to skip to the end now because we're, we're past uh, 9.30 and this is quite a long email, but Neil concludes by saying, create a centre for road safety where the incumbent's uh, sole duty is road safety, reporting direct to the CE's office, no other distractions, then results will be seen. OK, thank you very much to uh, everybody who wrote in. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. And a quick look uh, at the weather. Uh, it's going to be fine and dry uh, with a top temperature of around 24 degrees uh, today. Um, the outlook, fine and dry in the next couple of days with temperatures uh, falling progressively. Uh, temperatures in the urban areas will be about 13 degrees on Thursday morning, a few degrees lower in the new territories. Um, it's currently 22 degrees, humidity 57%. The red fire danger warning is in effect and so is the strong monsoon signal.
This vote ensures patriots administering Hong Kong. Good governance bringing a brighter future, prosperity and stability. The Legislative Council general election will be held on December 19th. The Legislative Council shall be composed of 90 members, 20 in geographical constituencies, 30 in functional constituencies and 40 in the Election Committee constituency. For inquiries, please call 28911001. Improve electoral system. Ensure patriots administering Hong Kong. The new summary with Andy Shirovsky. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling has questioned whether it's sustainable to quarantine all incoming travelers for seven days at the Penny's Bay Quarantine Center. He made the comments after Hong Kong tightened its anti-epidemic measures to ward off the spread of the Omicron coronavirus strain. He said asking everyone to stay in Penny's Bay makes sense as a risk reduction measure, but it wasn't sustainable in the long term. President Xi Jinping has pledged that China will donate 1 billion additional coronavirus vaccine doses to Africa. Mr. Xi said 600 million jabs would be sent directly, while the remainder would be delivered by other means. Less than 7% of Africa's population is fully vaccinated. President Xi made the announcement by video link to a China-Africa summit taking place in Senegal. And the prosecution has begun setting out its case in the trial in, the New, uh, in New York of the British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell. She is charged with trafficking underage girls to be abused by her friend, the convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Prosecutors say she recruited and groomed four underage girls for Epstein to abuse over a decade, starting in 1994. The alleged victims are expected to testify. Ghislaine Maxwell has pleaded not guilty. Those are the news headlines from RTHK. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning, welcome to Tuesday, and a mostly Aussie day here on Morning Brew. Of course, Jared Watt's going to be with us after 10.30 for the latest scores on the doors from Down Under, and a handful of great music as well. At 11.10, we're going to welcome for the first time a New Zealand eco-correspondent, well, nearly new. Because from now on, that's where Dr. Meryn Pierce will be based, having departed Hong Kong for good just a week ago. After 12... We're going to go a few miles up the road and catch up with biz futurist Morris Misalowski. Now, be honest, in the cold, hard light of day, do you really genuinely know what a NFT is? Well, join the club. Well, it's got value, among other things. You can listen to it. And many people really do see it as the future. 